And so when Dr. Lee was talking about vitamin C or vitamin A or the B complex or any of the vitamins, vitamin D, that the, the factor that man in the laboratory isolated was never, ever the active true factor of the vitamin. And it was only on the profit motive that they ever tried to isolate and synthesize these vitamins in a laboratory to begin with. I was just asked the other day by someone new to us if I was the Forbidden Doctor. Of course I said no. The Forbidden Doctor is not me at all. We are not the Forbidden Doctor. Jack is not the Forbidden Doctor. It's in you. The Forbidden Doctor is that magical, mystical power inside of you that is controlling and healing you. It's that beautiful, marvelous, almost miraculous force that controls all healing. It's that innate intelligence, that life force directed influence that triggered your dna to guide the building of your body after conception yeah it's that power that sustains your life repairs your wounds and lesions and it never stops working it's that essential part of you that keeps you alive and heals your every hurt this is the forbidden doctor it's not me it's that part of you The powers that be have decreed forbidden to ever learn about or even consider and never ever rely upon. For it is forbidden that you even know this life force exists at all. You are your own forbidden doctor. Yes. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Jack, and and welcome back to the Forbidden Doctor podcast. This is podcast episode 180, A Crime Against Humanity, the Suppression of Nutritional Truth. Yeah, we'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor to the Forbidden Doctor podcast, Cashback World. Um, This sponsor doesn't just help keep our podcast on the air, but it helps you, the listeners. This free app gives you cash back in your pocket. That's right. When you shop, you get cash back in your pocket. It costs you nothing. And all you have to do is shop. So why not use this app and get cash back? Go to whynotgetcashback.com to register and download the free cash back app. Very good. So today we're going to talk about some forbidden stuff that's been hidden from you for way too many decades. I've often said it's hard to find definitive truth about human health and nutrition following the rise of antibiotics in chemical-based healthcare. Ever since the end of World War II, the knowledge of the great nutritional giants has been pushed aside for a mess of pharmaceutical pottage. There's a world of health science out there far beyond drugs for everything and drugs for anything. And today, you guys are in for a delicious treat as we have one of those giants with us to talk about what happened over the decades since the time when truth mattered more than money and when the most dangerous diseases of today were hardly ever seen a hundred years ago. So we want to introduce you to one of our mentors, Mark Anderson. He's been one of our principal teachers for almost two decades now. He's president of Standard Process West, the host of Back to School for Doctors, an annual event where the truths of human nutrition and health are presented to over 600 attendees. Most of all, he's such a good friend. 
So hello, Mark, and welcome to the Forbidden Doctor Book. Uh, thank you, Jack and Mary. Great to be with you. Uh, yeah. We're going to be talking about um, Mark's experience uh, with the concept of whole food uh, nutrition and philosophy, but we want to talk about Dr. Royal Lee as well. When Dr. Royal Lee died in 1967, he was hailed as the greatest nutritionist of the 20th century. Yet today his name and work go largely unknown. That's a tragedy. This is no coincidence. Dr. Lee's basic message that the ultimate cause of most modern disease is malnutrition, brought on by industrially produced foods, threatens some of our country's mightiest institutions, as we've talked about many in many podcasts mm -hmm. before. So these powers- Many before health. Yes, actively suppressed Dr. Lee's message and decades of early nutrition research supporting it. Dr. Lee would spend his life fighting the suppression, all the while demonstrating the validity of his holistic nutritional philosophy through the, the most rare and precious form of truth, practical results. Yeah. Dr. Lee's legacy is inextricably linked with the story of early nutritional science and its unpublicized suppression. So we invite you to stay tuned here and listen to our discussion with Mark Anderson, a very good friend. So Mark, maybe a little history might be a good place to start here, how you got into this and, and, and your discovery of the concepts and science of Dr. Royal Lee. Well, this is my 47th year with uh, the company that Dr. Royal Lee started in 1929, uh, Standard Process. <clears throat> it's had different names over the years, all one company, Standard Process Laboratories, Vitamin Products Company, uh, the Therapeutics Food Company. But uh, it's all uh, Dr. Royal Lee's creation from 1929. He graduated Marquette Dental School in 1923. Mm -hmm. And uh, we still have uh, research from that period of time. Uh, he gave his graduating class uh, the lecture um, as the uh, senior class representative it's still a fantastic paper called The Systemic Causes of Dental Caries. You know, weren't most dentists known for health back then? Weren't Dentists were the people that really... The nutritionists of the, the day. The nutritionists of the day back then, yes. Well, they really were. Um, and you have a lot of colleagues of Dr. Royal Lee with which he worked uh, on a regular ongoing basis, men like Dr. Weston A. Price, mm -hmm. uh, who in 1939 published Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. The other giants. <clears throat> and another giant, and uh, they worked together on many, in many areas. Um, but one of the things Dr. Lee pointed out in that 1923 speech, uh, the presentation to his graduating class, the systemic causes of dental caries is that um, in prior in a, the prior years, right after World War One, um, dentists had made surveys of entire school districts, like say the Boston School District, which had many many thousands of students. 
And a city like Boston kept very good records, even in those days. And one of the things they looked at was in searching for the cause of dental caries, today we know them as cavities, but the technical term is dental caries, decay and degeneration of the teeth. One of the uh, things they studied was the health records of tens of thousands of school-aged children. And they saw some very clear patterns, which were just undeniable. They were so clear, they just, one of those uh, data points that just scream from the page they're written on. And it showed that the students who had the most dental caries, the most frequent decay, the most number of cavities, the most number of bad teeth and oral decay problems were the same students who had the worst infectious disease record. Um, the ones who had the most incident of measles, chickenpox, rubella, mumps, uh, chronic upper respiratory infection, chronic ear infections. The, the students who had the most infectious diseases also were the ones who had the most number of dental caries in their teeth. And that when they could find students who didn't have any of the childhood diseases, they had avoided chicken pop, chicken pox, measles, mumps. They had avoided these and they also avoided dental caries. Hmm. I've often said that your teeth are an incredible indication of your health. My dad was a dentist and you know, when, you, when an animal loses its teeth, you know, it dies. So, I mean, it can't eat. And so when humans get to where their teeth are loose and with cavities and everything in them, it's such an education when the body will finally give up on the teeth, you know, you know, right. no. leg. Well, so this, um, this was really something. And Dr. Lee particularly cited the work published in the no longer extant journal, The Dental Cosmos, in 1922, by the dentist named Polina, P-O-L-L-I-N-A. And Polina had uh, done the latest research along these lines um, with uh, tens of thousands of school children and saw the correlation between infectious disease, uh, poor growth, poor health, and the same to do with the state of their oral well-being. And so um, around that time, uh, Dr. Weston A. Price, who had been uh, and was at that time still the president of the American Dental Association, uh, Dr. Price was out of Cleveland. He was a well-known, uh, well-regarded research dentist and of course practitioner and he set off around the world he was a really a professional level amateur photographer and made all his own plates and lugged all this heavy heavy photographic equipment 
on a decade-long travel around the world, and he wanted to see the influence of indigenous people first coming in contact with modern civilization, which of course meant that their first exposure to what he called the foods of commerce. And this went along uh, very much with what Dr. Lee had been working on. Uh, again, just look at the title of his talk, The Systemic Causes of Dental Caries, that it was a breakdown of the system, the endocrine system, the digestive system, and uh, all of these uh, systemic factors, not just what's going on externally in the mouth. And so uh, what Dr. Price found as he went around the world was that as soon as these indigenous people uh, got exposed to sugar, canned foods, which they would trade for, uh, refined flour, and all kinds of, uh, uh, again, you would call them the goods of commerce, the foods of commerce, then the indigenous health of these people would go down, down, down. And uh, you can get his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, and see the photographs of what happens within one generation, because in, in many cases, uh, when, let's say, a, a naval base would move in to a South Pacific island, where the islanders had lived in their native indigenous way, uh, the, the parents would have perfect health, no tuberculosis, uh, no cancer, no colitis, no ulcerative colitis, no diabetes, no arthritis, no heart disease. And then um, their children, who were now being exposed because of the nearby naval base uh, to the foods of commerce, their children were the first generation of their people to show all these degenerative signs and come down with cancer, arthritis, tuberculosis, and all of these things that have plagued the, the modern civilization um, for as long as we've been keeping records. In one generation. It, it took only one generation, and you saw the birth defects, the Oh, the, the effects of uh, on the bones, on the teeth. And, of course, Dr. Price, being a dentist, made wonderful photographs of their teeth and dental arch and had them open their mouths as wide as they could and stick their tongues out. And, and then he would show, for example, even when you had um, siblings, some who would remain in the village of the indigenous group and others who moved to the town that was set up uh, where, the, uh, where the modern uh, buildings were and where civilization had encroached, you could see within the same families, brothers and sisters, some of whom, and you see this in his book, in the photographic plates, you see this where the indigenous uh, village living people had perfect teeth, no crowding of the teeth, no loss of the dental arch, plenty of space, no crowding or crossing of teeth, and yet their brother and sister, who had moved for one reason or another into the village, were showing all kinds of rotting teeth, gum disease, crowding of teeth, a lack of calcium infusion into the bone to give a nice broad wide dental arch, 
and just really a narrowing of the whole face. Well, you know, Dr. Price's, uh, his work was published in 1939 and it was called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, as I mentioned. And I'm, uh, I'm kind of uh, happy to say that when I wrote a book in 1990 called um, Empty Harvest, yeah. understanding the link between our food, our immunity, and our planet, Empty Harvest, um, that was the first book that had ever been given permission by the Weston Price Foundation to reuse and republish some of the photographic plates from the original plates that were in nutrition and physical degeneration. And when I contacted the Weston, uh, the uh, Price Pottinger Foundation in San Diego to request permission, they said, well, I'm sorry, we never let these photographs be used. But, but tell us a little bit about yourself. And when I mentioned Dr. Royal Lee, that I worked for Dr. Royal Lee's company, well, that was the open sesame. Oh. When, they, when they heard that, they said, oh, you, you're with Dr. Lee's organization. Oh, well, certainly, uh -huh. certainly use his photographs. Just tell us which ones you want. But we only ask, we won't charge you, no royalties, no fees, but we only ask one thing of you. Um, it's a requirement. And I said, well, sure, whatever you want. And then they said, all we want you to do is you must use his captions under each specific photograph. Ah. In other words, I can't ad lib my own descriptions of what you're looking at. I can make comments, but only after Dr. Price's original words for each picture were included. And of course, that was oh, yeah. as I would want it anyway. And so, um, you know, we, we were able to help revive that. And one of the things I was able to do several years later in sort of a token way to rethink the, uh, the uh, Price Pottinger Foundation was that in my working to bring about, uh, revive old lectures given by Dr. Royally to doctors uh, in the, uh, in the, throughout the 1950s and early 1960s, uh, these very rare recordings on very brittle, old, dried-out tape from the old Mylar reel-to-reels. Uh, yeah, you have saved his legacy. Yes, yeah, so we, uh, I, was, I came across uh, a recording uh, of Dr. Weston Price being interviewed on the radio in 1940 um, in N NBC News. And uh, and they were and so naturally we restored that digitally and I gave that to the uh, and they were so thankful because outside of a twenty second clip on an old film they had no sounds of his voice they had no recordings of Dr Price's voice and I was able to give them several hours of uh, Dr Weston Price. Uh, interview which was recorded live off the radio uh, back in uh, 1940. So uh, Dr. Uh, Lee uh, probably did more at the time to um, spread the wisdom and knowledge of Dr. Price 
throughout the uh, world of dentistry and expanding it beyond that to medical doctors, chiropractors, naturopaths, osteopaths, and really began what today we would call the holistic health movement. And this was uh, really an outgrowth of, of the combined work of these great early pioneers of Dr. Francis Pottinger with his famous cat experiments and Weston A. Price with his global anthropological study of what was happening to people as they went from natural diets to uh, Western refined diets. And of course, uh, Dr. Lee uh, pursuing his own research, particularly in the field of vitamin structures, whole food vitamins versus synthetic vitamins. Well, is that why he is so, was he, was he attacked more because he did actually start a company that tried to correct these problems rather than just talking, you know, like Price and Pottinger did? Yeah, that, that's a great point, Mary. That's probably the the linchpin. Yeah. It's that, that was, uh, and talking about pins, that was really pulling the pin out of the hand grenade. When he started to actually produce whole food concentrates yeah. in 1929, the first one being Catalan, which is a blend of 12 organically grown raw foods. Of course, they didn't call them organically grown. They didn't know any other way. You got to have healthy soil or the plants would die. So uh, Dr. Lee, uh, on his farms in uh, Wisconsin, which we still use today, uh, grew these foods. And in some cases, they were animal like liver, which uh, we would obtain from very clean, wholesome sources. And he figured these 12 foods in the form of Catalan would uh, encompass the broadest spectrum of possible nutrition, both known and unknown, because he believed that from the standpoint of vitamins and nutrient uh, synergistic uh, elements compared to just an isolated synthetic, that the unknown factors were just as important and probably more important than the, the known factors. And that's the basis of his company, I think. It is the basis, and you see, and you see. Look, um, it's not just the fact that the isolate is lacking a contextual synergy with the rest of the food. Uh, you know, the, the science of synthetic vitamins presumes that the entirety of the vitamin effect comes from this particular chemical. I can't tell you how disproven, discredited that is. You know, uh, think about um, the human example of the hand. One of the things we're told is that what makes the human hand the most uh, productive tool on the entire planet is the fact that we have the opposing thumb. And so that certain apes and uh, human beings have this opposing thumb, which gives the hand its incredible dexterity and an ability to do the most amazingly fine and detailed work. <clears throat> and yet, what do we say descriptively uh, about a person who is a klutz with their hands? Yeah, he's all thumbs. He's all thumbs, that's right. So uh, in other words, here, the thumb is what makes the hand the most productive instrument 
And yet, if all you had was five thumbs, you'd be a complete klutz with your hands. And a synthetic vitamin isolated out of the whole food concentration, the whole food universe that's in that kale, Brussels sprouts, spinach, greens, all of that, all that works synergistically together was Royal Lee's entire philosophy. And that together they produced vitamin effects. You know, and then, so, uh, now he didn't use the analogy of the thumb. He used one that's even uh, better, I believe, in terms of analogies. Um, you know, he talked about the fine, intricate mechanisms of a watch. And then he would ask doctors uh, the question, what part of the watch keeps time or measures time? And of course, the answer is no part. Right. There is no single part of a mechanical watch that is measuring the passage of time. It has to work together as a whole functioning mechanism, whether it's the, the mainspring or the jewels or the springs and the counterweights and uh, too many parts to even keep track of in your mind, but all together, because, I mean, after all, if you dropped a hammer on a fine watch, it would stop telling time, and yet all the parts are still there. So there is no part that tells time. It's the whole functioning mechanism. And so when Dr. Lee was talking about vitamin C or vitamin A or the B complex or any of the vitamins, vitamin D, that the, the factor that man in the laboratory isolated was never, ever the active, true factor of the vitamin. And it was only on the profit motive that they ever tried to isolate and synthesize these vitamins in a laboratory to begin with. Well, that's what attracted us to standard process and has kept our attention all these years, is that exact philosophy. Yeah, so if I walk into uh, a grocery store, into the um, pharmacy area where they have vitamins and things listed, and I pick up a bottle, say a vitamin E, and uh, there'll be two or three different brands there, and one will have tocopherol A and tocopherol E, or to this one has tocopherol D. Tocopherol is, the, is, is what you're talking about when we start synthesizing a vitamin and using one little piece of the whole factor, right? That's right. That's exactly right. So we think that vitamin E is a tocopherol oil. We think of vitamin C as uh, ascorbic acid. We think of vitamin A as a beta carotene when there's 60 different carotenes. We think of uh, vitamin D as cholecalciferol because we can see that in packages as well. And so it's kind of reduced to where I tell my patients when I talk to them, 99% of what is passed off as vitamins out there is simply a superstitious idea that a vitamin is nothing more than an antioxidant. And that uh, because of the horrible ravaging effects of uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the are the reactive oxygen species, whatever, whatever you call it, the uh, the um, 
Antioxidant? Yeah, no. the antioxidant, the, the, uh, you're talking about the free radicals. The free radical stuff, yeah, because yeah. we're just inundated with free radicals. We have to have all these antioxidant effects of vitamins, which is, where did that come, where did that come from? Well, it's needing instant relief. It's managing symptoms. It's getting rid of symptoms instead of, you know, you take a synthetic vitamin B product and you're going to get some energy instantly. I mean, you're going to notice something. Yeah, you're going to nice eat, and rush. But you, if you eat liver or Cataplex B, you know, standard processes, B vitamin, whole food B vitamin, it's food. Food doesn't give you a rush. Food doesn't give you a high, a, you know, a drug-like effect. And that's what has so impressed us with standard process because it's just food. You know, I was talking to a medical doctor yesterday and I was showing him some of the, the um, standard process products and he was like, well, you don't know how they interact with other things and you don't, you don't understand. And I said, no, it's food. Do you go down, do you, do you eat a steak and then realize, Ooh, is this going to re react with my, with my drugs or with my potato <laughs> or my salad? <laughs> and he actually got it, which was surprising that he got it that fast. And he was, so I said, you know, none of these products will react with anything. But I want to go back to Dr. Royal Lee and the reason why, why was he so revived? Why, why did they come down so hard on him? And I think it's because he did make an impact and, and impacted the money situation with these big institutions. But is there anything else that, you know, why was Pottinger and, and, why were they not attacked like Dr. Royal Lee was? Well, because they, they didn't have the influence that, you see, Lee started in 1940, the Lee Foundation for Nutritional Research, a nonprofit foundation, which quickly became the world's largest clearinghouse for nutritional research. And he produced three sets of Lee Foundation portfolios. Uh, one was called uh, for the agriculturalist, the other was called for the homemaker, and the third was called uh, the doctor's portfolio. So you had the agriculturalist, the homemaker portfolio, and the doctor's portfolio. And so it was uh, these portfolios which were distributed throughout the world, but mainly in the US and England and Canada, but uh, translated all over the world. These documents of research uh, by Lee and his compatriots, and as well as people they had never met who had published very valid research, uh, showing the link between um, health, disease, and nutrition. Ooh, so like, like for example, Jack mentioned the tocopherol. Uh, Lee really exposed and cut his teeth on explaining the tocopherol myth and fallacy to people. And your audience, which the mere fact that they're an audience of Jack and Mary Stockwell, uh, my presumption is that they would be more educated to the philosophy of what we're speaking about and will quickly grasp this without me going deep into the weeds. But the word tocopherol um, is broken uh, in two parts. Uh, tokos uh, comes from the Greek, uh, which means uh, uh, to bear, I mean birth. Tokos is birth. And ferin, uh, P-H-E-R-E-I-N, ferin means to bear or to carry, uh, as in pregnancy. So you have the tokos, which uh, birth, 
and to carry. And of course, this was the fertility factor. When they discovered that wheat germ carried this incredible fertility factor, starting in the late 1920s, there was amazing research done on wheat germ, and then they further got deeper into the understanding that it was the oil in the wheat germ. So then they started working with wheat germ oil. And pretty soon they stuck the moniker vitamin E onto wheat germ oil. So back in the anything written before 1939 that had to do with vitamin E was actually only research done on wheat germ oil. In fact, doctors would start a sentence with vitamin E, continue speaking about the same substance, vitamin E, and later in the same sentence call it wheat germ oil. Uh, so they might say something like, this woman came to us having had a history of five abortions, um, meaning, uh, not, not, I mean, uh, self-abortions, right. just uh, miscarriages today, but they used call it abortions, um, threatened abortions, and so on. And one of the things that they would say is that this woman had uh, five uh, miscarriages or abortions. Once we gave her vitamin E, uh, she completed uh, her first full term and ever since continued on wheat germ oil and never had an abortion again. You know, we had a lady that had 10 miscarriages, came into our clinic. She'd had one live birth, and then she'd had bunch of miscarriages before and after this just barely happened yes just and yeah. she just found out she was pregnant started her on wheat germ oil and she's now what four she, months 23 weeks 23 she's weeks 23 weeks half, yeah. more than just a little over halfway through something she's missed 10 of them in a row <laughs> i actually it was a it was an electrician that came in our house to help us and he was talking about how excited he was his wife was pregnant and hoping she could keep it and i said oh you've got to get her on wheat germ oil and he just ate it up he did he brought her and so far she's doing great so so, so th this is exactly the story Mary so picture this in 1939 they had thought what they had extracted from wheat germ oil was the substance which they called alpha tocopherol and they gave it to rats just rats and rats were able to uh, prevent uh, miscarriage and abortion in other words, it was a fertility factor that worked in rats. And so they said, well, if it works in rats, that's it. We now have vitamin E. And you will then see from 1939 onward, not a single good paper was ever published on vitamin E and fertility. Because from 1939 onward, they were only using alpha tocopherol. Oh, I didn't know it was that far back. I thought it was about the 1950s. Right now, in, well, 1939 was the year that, uh, 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 I believe it was uh, Merck in Germany, uh, came out with the uh, first <clears throat> tocopherol product, and it was labeled vitamin E, and pretty much, and of course, scientists in their scientism mindset said, oh, good, now we have an exact measurable vitamin E to work with. We don't have to wonder about the vagaries of this wheat germ oil process versus that wheat germ oil process. We now have the synthetic extract of uh, alpha tocopherol. And uh, so you see hundreds of papers on fertility and muscle repair and stopping of muscle degeneration 
using wheat germ oil, and it all goes to hell once the tocopherol is on board because it is lacking the incredible variety of synergists that the tocopherols exist with in a wheat germ oil. And, um, and so giving tocopherols to a, uh, a woman who's had a history of miscarriage will do her no good at all. And the literature supports that because there have been tremendous numbers of failures of research doing that. But if you go out, go before 1939, where all the research in the US and Europe were done on wheat germ oil, boy, uh, these science. It's all money. And this, yeah. this is the forbidden information we're trying to get out to the whole world with our podcast. So I'm, I'm happy we were able to help that lady. How many others are there out there that keep miscarrying, miscarrying? You know, and the same, the same theory goes with vitamin C, you know. Vitamin C right. acid does not cure scurvy. It no. has never done it. And yet we have that, that misinformation in our mind that, you know, if somebody has bleeding gums, they need vitamin C and it just doesn't work. And so they give up on it. That's right. And in, in fact, it's the substance is misnamed. The substance that is, uh, that is accused of being uh, uh, vitamin C is called ascorbic acid. And ascorbo is, or scorbutic, is the Greek word for scurvy. And whenever you put the letter A in front of uh, anything in medicine, it means without, like anemia, without blood. So the ascorbotic acid, the, the no scurvy acid, but it's not, as you just said. If you want to um, let a person die of scurvy, uh, just just give them ascorbic acid, and they'll die of scurvy. Um, and and, and, it, it, and the, the guy who discovered and got a Nobel Prize for the discovery of ascorbic acid, uh, his name is Dr. Albert Svient Georgi. Um, he got the Nobel Prize in '37. Uh, for ascorbic acid, he himself tried to explain uh, to people who would not listen that his work was incomplete, that he had only found one fraction of the vitamin C complex, and that there was this whole vitamin P group, P as in permeability, and that this vitamin P group, uh, without which uh, the capillaries would leak and blood would spill from orifices in the body, uh, and the body could not make collagen. And ascorbic acid was a joke. And ascorbic acid is a joke. Yeah. Ascorbic acid is a complete and utter waste of money. But it's all the FDA will allow you to call vitamin C on a label. See, the FDA controls all label data and what a label can say and what it can mean. So if you had let's say a, a, a thousand milligram size tablet, a one gram size tablet, and you had all of these vitamin C components blended together in it, but you only had 10 milligrams of ascorbic acid in that one gram, thousand milligram tablet of vitamin C rich materials. If you only had 10 milligrams of ascorbic acid, the FDA would only allow vitamin C on that product to be labeled as 10 milligrams vitamin C, yeah. even though it's a thousand milligram or one gram tablet. 
And, um, and so by controlling the language and the definitions, uh, synthetic vitamins have ruled, uh, you know, since really uh, the drug companies started uh, patenting synth synthetic forms, and usually all the research was done on the lower life forms like rats and guinea pigs, you know, so that if you could cure scurvy in a, in a guinea pig, this very lower light, much lower life form with none of the complexity of a human being, you can cure scurvy in a guinea pig with ascorbic acid. Well, you know, one of the greatest uh, cancer researchers of the last few generations, uh, he died uh, a, a few years back. His name was Judah Folkman. And uh, Judah Folkman, um, you know, not that he was into natural things at all. He was just a great cancer researcher. But in one of his uh, classic lines, um, in one of his uh, most often read articles, he says, if you're a rat and you have cancer, we can help you. <laughs> because he had discovered many cancer cures in, in rats in his laboratories, none of which ever amounted to a hell of beans in human beings. So he was basically saying, if you're a rat and you have cancer, we can help you. But, you know, th that's the problem. And that's what, that's what vitamins came from, was all rat research. In fact, before they used the word milligrams to, the, to rate vitamins, they used to call them rat units. So if you look at some of the early labels from the 1930s, it'll literally say uh, vitamin A, uh, 60 rat units. And if oh, that doesn't look good. We can't call it rat units. So then they started calling them international units. Ah, <laughs> that's where that came from. That's interesting. Well, wow. I think it's, you know, it's fascinating because Dr. Lee just used what worked and what he knew worked. And we had a patient that had a stroke the other day. We went and visited her in the hospital. And what did we bring her? Cyruta Plus, the, the very strong rootin product the standard process produces i call mm -hmm. it vitamin c on steroids that's right <laughs> and, and derived from buckley yeah rebuilds the collagenous fibers now here's the thing about that that was known to dr lee well you could tell when it was known to dr lee because he built the formula in 1948 yeah and uh, and so th this buckwheat leaf and seed concentrate um, was rediscovered independently at Harvard Medical School in 2012, 65 years later. And uh, the, the doctor, what, what's that? They're late to the party. Little late to the party. But uh, the, the doctor at Harvard uh, who wrote the article announcing their discovery uh, from buckwheat of this anti-stroke, anti-thrombosis factor, he said, if you wanted to design an antithrombotic molecule, it would be impossible to have one more perfect than rutin, Excellent. which uh, is the highest quantity can be obtained from buckwheat. And, uh, and the reason for this is that the rutin is a biomarker for the rest of the C complex, of which ascorbic acid has nothing to do with. And it's what we, what Dr. Georgi, the discoverer of ascorbic acid, called, he named it vitamin P, P 
P as in Paul, but he didn't mean it for Paul. He meant it for permeability, meaning blood would not leak out of the blood vessels. Ah. Because now the blood vessels were impermeable. And the more you were deficient in the vitamin P, the more permeable your capillaries and, and arteries and veins were. And uh, what they soon came to find out was it wasn't just that they were leaking through in a permeable sense, but it was also promoting clots and thrombosis. And uh, we all know what a coronary thrombosis or a deep vein thrombosis, these, these are life-ending events. And, uh, and, and the whole... Rooting factor. So here's Harvard, never heard of Royal Lee, never gave any credit to Georgi. It's what they discovered. But, you know, the thing is, they're not going to be happy with it because just, you know, what are you going to do? Give patients tablets of buckwheat? Well, we do. Yeah, we charge them $500 a tablet, keep yeah. them in the hospital. Yeah. And you can keep the hospitals open by doing, eating them something, getting at home for pennies. That's right. Try to call Cyrita Plus Vitamin P. We yeah. often we often do do that. Hey, I uh, in the last section here of this interview, uh, I want to get back to Dr. Lee's uh, another thing that he talked about long before medicine came to discover autoimmunity and the work yes. he was doing uh, the last part of his life that went ignored mostly by medicine until only recently. Well, you're so right about that, Jack. You know, the thing is that Dr. Lee didn't just discover the, the incredible impact of the autoimmune reaction in the human body and how prevalent it was. He, was the, he actually realized that it was a stage of all degenerative disease, that <clears throat> to whatever extent anyone in those days even had a clue that an autoimmune reaction was even possible, um, they saw it as a standalone defect of a particular disease. Uh, for example, it came to be associated oh, by the 1980s with lupus erythematosus. Um, or it was also associated with Addison's disease, complete adrenal failure, in which the body was making antibodies against the host the, their adrenal glands. Well, Dr. Lee realized in his research, going back to the 1940s, before they even had the term autoimmune, that not only was this a common phenomenon, that the immune system was building antibodies against its own tissues, the host's own tissues, he realized that it was actually a phase of any uncontrolled degenerative process. Um, so that, for example, uh, everyone, and particularly in those days, was, was well familiar with the signs, symptoms, and stages of tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. And everyone also knew by that time that tuberculosis was caused by a bacterium named uh, Mycobacterium. And the mycobacterium and tuberculosis, using all of Koch's postulates, were absolutely tied hand in glove. But what Dr. Lee realized was that the reason some people uh, got over tuberculosis and others died from it was that the ones who were dying from it 
where the ones who entered the phase of tuberculosis were turned into an autoimmune disease where not only was the mycobacterium in infesting their lungs, but that the host's immune system had built powerful antibodies to destroy the lungs. And uh, he then followed that logic out to so many conditions. And so the great contribution to Dr. Lee, besides recognizing the autoimmune reaction and really categorizing it and writing extensively about it, um, he went on to literally introduce into science an understanding that this is actually another phase of disease. It is not a standalone disease, so that you wouldn't say tuberculosis is an autoimmune disease. You would say auto, that tuberculosis has an autoimmune phase, really the end phase, the phase at which the body just moves in and kills the lungs because the lung is spreading so much mycobacterium into the system and so much decayed lung tissue into the blood that the antibodies assault the lungs to try to stop all this uh, poison, this necrotic debris from getting into the bloodstream. And, and then the person actually ended up dying as a result of the immune system reaction to the disease. And that this is true pretty much of any unreversed disease. So it, it may not start out as an autoimmune disease. It ends up as an autoimmune. And this is, they are coming to realize this more and more. Uh, but what has confused them is they want to pigeonhole autoimmune diseases as some sort of standalone category, ra rather than recognizing the universal principle that is the body is falling into the phase of autoimmunity. You've reached that stage. That's very interesting. You know, I simplify it in that autoimmunity is when your body's attacking itself, you're, you're kind of decomposing, but you know, you don't want to decompose while you're alive. It's like the end stages of everything. Um, but it was interesting. My friend got lupus when I was, I grew up in the seventies and I don't know when they finally officially recognized autoimmune diseases. Was it with AIDS? No. No, uh, you know, it, it really, uh, lupus was, uh, was the real first big yeah. uh, one in, in the late 70s, early 80s. They began to recognize that lupus erythematosus was an assault of the immune system upon the lungs, spleen, skin, and liver of, of its victim. Yeah, I remember she was explaining what was wrong with her, and she says, my body's attacking my kidneys. And, with and kidneys, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, how could that be? How could your own body attack itself? You know, and this is what Dr. Riley tried to explain forever. He was like, I'll show you if you will listen. I will explain this to you. Well, he came up with therapies to address that very issue. Yes. The whole concept behind protomorphology. Maybe you can address that for a few moments, Mark. Well, you know, um, you know now that autoimmune diseases are so... Uh, much more recognized and understood, what they try to do is suppress the, the autoantibodies. And the only good drug class that suppresses autoantibodies are your, your steroids, your 
uh, anti-inflammatory steroids like cortisone or the synthetic forms, prednisone. Uh, drugs like Humira, these are all corticosteroids, which are immunosuppressives, they mean, meaning that since the immune system is what's attacking and killing the tissue, we're suppressing the immune system. You know, as if uh, that's not going to leave you vulnerable to 10 other attacks uh, from anything that's going around. Bacteria, viruses, fungus, parasites. I mean, once you destroy the immune system or suppress it, you may have wanted to suppress it here, but you, you're then suppressing it everywhere. Yeah, that's so, a medical model. That's what killed my dad. They did the same thing. They, they saved his life from the lung infection he had, but in the process, of course, killed his, his gut. And yeah, the treatment was a success, but the patient right. died. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, That's and it's insane. So what Dr. Lee did was he, he, cre he created a, uh, an autoantibody target um, that the, the body would go after the target instead of the tissue. A diversion. A diversion. And this, is, uh, and this was uh, in the form of if there is an antibody, there is by definition the antibody's target, which is known as an antigen. So when you have an antigen, the body is rightfully creating an antibody to try to secure the destruction of the antigen. Well, in the, in the case of an autoimmune disease, the antigen isn't bee venom or, or shrimp protein. Poison or some poison in the environment, it's actually your own lung, your own kidney, your own spleen, you know, your own uh, gums, your own intestinal tract. All of these tissues can become autoantigens. So if we have an autoantibody, meaning we self-make the antibody, and then we have an antibody to self, then we also have to have an autoantigen where the antigen is our own body, but a specific class of tissue. Uh, in this case, organs. So Dr. Lee realized that indigenous people from all around the world had always used animal organs in the treatment of conditions <clears throat> and offering sundry explanations as to what the theory behind it was, but nobody really uh, hit it. And of course, there was a whole field, the whole field of endocrinology uh, grew up around these kind of glandular extracts. It was called organotherapy from the 1890s through about the, the, the mid-1920s. Organotherapists who were using organ tissue extracts, um, mostly as oral tablets, some as injectables. Those, those didn't work out well. But the, uh, the oral tablets of the organotherapists were all the early endocrinologists. And they were making tremendous headway. But they used to argue amongst themselves, what was the active principle that was making these organ extracts work so well? And it, it broke off into two groups, Jack. The group one thought that the organ extract contained something the body lacked, so that it was a deficiency model. And the others uh, said, no, it's more of a homeopathic reaction where like cures like. And so it, 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 grow, it grew up into these two arguments among the early endocrinologists. Uh, and then Dr. Lee came along and said, you're all geniuses. 
and I thank you for everything you've contributed, but you're all wrong. It is neither a replacement therapy, nor is it a homeopathic reaction, like curing like. <clears throat> it is a decoy strategy where we're causing the autoantibodies to futilely hunt the organ extract and destroy itself trying to kill this oral antigen that we're giving you. Right now, your, your, your antigen is your, is your own lung. We're going to give you a lung tablet, which will create a decoy effect, and the autoantibody to the lung will go after the protomorphogen of the lung as soon as it tries to get into the bloodstream. Uh, because the DNA is so similar, it's not identical. In other words, if you take a mammalian uh, lung tissue, uh, say from a cow, and you make a lung protomorphogen out of it, it's not identical perfectly to a human lung, but it is so 99.9% similar that it's good enough for the autoantibodies to waste their time going after the the wrong antigen, the, the oral antigen that we put into a tablet. That then gives relief to the target of that autoantibody, which is the host's own lung, which in and of itself only buys you some time. But what you do at that time is now you direct healing nutrition and energy to the diseased tissue in this case, the lung, so that you're giving it calcium, vitamin A, vitamin C, you're giving it the nutrients that build up the healthy lung, but it couldn't repair itself while it was under assault from antibodies. But now we've got the antibodies foolishly chasing the countermeasure, which is the protomorphogen. You know, we use the example of how, um, let's say, a surfaced air missile is fired at an airplane. And so the pilot in the, in the airplane sees on his radar an incoming missile, which is locked into the heat of his engines. And no matter how fast he flies or up, down, left, right, it doesn't matter. The missile is locked on to his engine heat. So what does he do? He releases a phosphorus decoy, which is burning hotter than his engine. And the missile that's coming from the ground up to the plane now is locked on to the uh, phosphorescent decoy. The pilot veers off radically from the direction he was traveling, and the missile harmlessly flies right up the butt of the phosphorus flare. Phosphorus, you know, burns at several thousand degrees the moment it hits air. And, and that's, that's a decoy. Well, and a protomorphogen is similar in principle. It's a decoy that the autoantibody goes after. But if you don't know the right nutrition to, to use while you're using the protomorphogen, then you, you've, you've lost that window of time that you've given yourself to stop the decay of that organ because it is the decay of the organ that is causing the constant renewal of more antibodies against it. Because remember, you wouldn't have an autoantibody if you didn't have an autoantigen. And so by healing 
with nutrition and when I say energy, I'm talking about chiropractic release of nerve interference, acupuncture, normalizing energy flow in the system, and all of these things which naturally keep the body alive, the electricity and the nutrition coming together. Now the lung gets healed, or whatever organ we're talking about, I'm just using the lung as an example, and the lung stops putting out necrotic debris into the blood, therefore the body stops making autoantibodies against the lung, and the protomorphogen, in this case, the lung protomorphogen, allowed a window of opportunity to start to direct healing toward the lung itself. And this is uh, Dr. Lee's greatest contribution coming at the last part of his life, the most mature part of his scientific uh, endeavor. Um, that, is, that is the work he was working on uh, for the last uh, 15 to 20 years of his life was the protomorphogen and the autoimmune reaction. So he didn't think of it as autoimmune disease because it's not, uh, when you think of a disease, you think of a disease as a primary disease. But this is simply a phase of all disease. So his work was on what's going on at this phase where something that may have been no more than a, uh, um, a bronchitis you had one winter, and for some reason, it never healed. And so this bronchitis, which lingered and lingered and lingered long after the infection was gone, but the bronchitis continued, then you uh, now have entered an autoimmune phase of what was at one point just a bronchitis, but now a year later, you're being uh, savaged by your own immune system. And that's when they have to come in with the prednisone and the immunosuppressive drugs. This is so critical to understand because when, when people have a degenerative disease like congestive heart failure or they have massive eczema, you know, psoriasis all over, they take right. the protomorphogen, they have to have good nutrition. This that's is, right. They, they think of the PMG, the dermatropin PMG or the cardiotropin PMG as a drug effect, because that's the way they've been trained. Right. And, it, and they do feel better, but if they continue with their cocoa puffs for breakfast and yeah. you know, and their diet Cokes and, and all of this, the protomorphogen can only divert for a time. That's right. They have to get in, this is the part they don't understand, is they have to get in with good nutrition and heal this. You know, I, this medical doctor I was talking to yesterday, he said to me out loud, oh, you should never eat liver. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, this is the thinking that they don't, they don't have any clue that food and nutrition can actually heal. And we can't even use that word heal. That's like, right. Like the medical doctors can use the word heal. But vitamins and food used to heal things. Well, you know, and it's in med school, they're taught, you know, a, a vitamin B deficiency is going to lead to uh, pellagra, beriberi, these kinds of things. A vitamin right. B deficiency is going to lead to uh, scurvious, scurv vitamin A is going to affect your heart if you don't have these vitamins, but it never occurs to them that an abundance of these things could actually reverse the very thing the deficiency caused. That, that logic never enters their mind. And I think a lot of even clinicians that use their protomorphogens think that there's some kind of magic thing. But yeah. Like, yeah. Dr. Lee, I guess, you know, he didn't have the internet. He didn't have the ability to, to get this out to the world. 
the protomorphogens that Santa Process produces are life-saving, but not if they're not coupled with good nutrition. That's yeah. Point. yeah, if you don't know uh, what, let's say you're dealing with, for example, the skin, you mentioned eczema and psoriasis, which are clear autoimmune reactions going on against the largest tissue of the human body, which is the skin. Well, uh, you take the dermatrophin, well, now all you've done is given yourself the opportunity to temporarily reduce the onslaught of the autoantibodies. Now you've got to get rid of the autoantigen, which is the decaying skin. This is where your vitamin A complex and your C complex and your vitamin E complex. The, you need to restore the acid mantle of the skin. We use apple cider vinegar. Uh, we use calcium chloride. We use acidifiers to restore that protective acid mantle. Uh, we get them off of harsh alkaline soaps. We get them onto heavy fats like our vitamin F or our wheat germ oil or our black currant seed oil. Uh, in other words, we got to restore the integrity of the skin so that it stops making all of these autoantigens uh, so that the body will stop making skin antibodies, anti-skin antibodies. But the dermatrophin is going to give you the window of opportunity, you know, because let's, re let's go back to that jet with the heat-seeking rocket coming up to blow up the jet by logging into the heat signature of the engine. Well, that jet has a mission. It wasn't just up there flying around showing people, hey, look what I can do with this thing. You know, now that the, the jet it has used the countermeasure, you can get on about what his actual mission was, like you know, maybe blowing up the enemy. The point is, you've got to have uh, the nutrients. They are the mission. All the countermeasure, which is the protomorphogen, is doing, that's just releasing the phosphorus flare. Yeah. Now, the nutrition, the chiropractic, the acupuncture, the, the meditation, whatever you do to restore uh, electrical nerve balance to your body, um, then all of that works with the nutrition to heal the tissue. And all the protomorphogen is doing is giving you a period of time where the ravages of autoantibody assault is significantly reduced so that the tissue can heal in the normal way. This is the forbidden information that we are trying to get out everywhere. Yeah, it is forbidden. It is forbidden. You, you, you're not allowed to even know about this forbidden strength of your body inside of you to do this. But it's, you know, all that's to told out here is, you know, wait, wait, wait until you, you get a bad enough disease that we can diagnose it and then come to us and we, and we will just manage your symptoms. And it's so fascinating now how they used to hide that, I think. But now they come right out on commercials and say, this is managing your system. This is your disease. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it blows my mind that people don't think that and go, they're just managing my disease? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why there's such a multitude of drug commercials anymore. Every week there's a new one mentioned because it orients our philosophy to think and our logic to, to stop being logical that there must be a drug to answer the problem that I'm having because there's so many drugs out there. But it just that's right. That's right. It's just management of symptoms, but... So this is fascinating stuff that Dr. Royal Lee 
discovered this so many years ago. And like I said, you know, they're getting Nobel prizes all over the place for things that he's already discovered, like the H. pylori. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he discovered that, you know, decades earlier. And In the 1930s, know. he knew that uh, ulcers involved a uh, pathogenic bacteria in the stomach, absolutely. Yeah, so this is the, and the protomorphogens are the crowning yes. you know, thing of Dr. Lee and standard process. No other company has this. It's interesting because, you know, the theory of like, likes, like, you know, liver, you have a liver problem, eat liver. You know, you'll get some of that protomorphogen in there. You have That's a right. thyroid problem, you eat glandulars, you know, those types of things. And yet my medical doctor, you know, it's just like, no, no, don't ever eat liver. Um, and just uh, to bring this to an end here, uh, because we've gone on for an hour, um, people are bringing products to Mary and I all the time to sell in our clinic. And the two questions, <laughs> the two things I always bring to their attention is I look at the label of the product and I say, well, there's no animal products in here. And oh. they look at me like, well, of course not. That's <laughs> then I said, and then the next thing I say is, how many farmers sit on the board of directors of your company? <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> and I get another blank stare. And I say, I'm sorry. <clears throat> you guys, uh, you need to catch up. This is 2019. You need to catch up where, where real health care is today. We've been talking to Mark Anderson, president of Standard Process West. He, uh, there is a, a publishing outfit that is associated with him called Celine River Press, S-E-L-E-N-E, -E, just like Celine, riverpress.com, uh, that has a lifetime of reading material and education. You've often heard me talk about westonaprice.org so, uh, outfit for their information. Celine uh, River Press is uh, second to none. Uh, if you want further and more information on what we've been talking about, we have many podcasts that Mary and I have already done on these subjects, but here we had one of our mentors on here with us today, and he is associated uh, with Celine River Press. Um, and, and books, if you want to read about tons Dr. of books, tons of blogs. Yeah, Dr. Royal Lee is on. And so plenty of information. Press. And if, if there's anybody to be credited with, uh, I don't know if the resurrection is the right word, but <laughs> restoring at least and bringing to the knowledge of so many natural healers around the world, not just in our country, the understanding, the philosophy, the legacy that Dr. Lee has, uh, it is certainly Mark Anderson. And Mark... Um, I, we can't thank you enough for the influence you have had in our life. Well, you, Jack, and Mary, very, very special people, uh, and you have been so wonderful in educating your patients and your colleagues so that you have used your great abilities and talents to amplify and live this message. And so I can't thank you. Well, you know, I attribute Dr. Royal Lee to saving my life. I always say, but for Dr. Royal Lee, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, she says that to patients all the time. So <laughs> he's a great man, uh, as well as you, Mark, for bringing his message and keeping his message in this world. Because, but for you, we wouldn't have many of the writings and audios of Dr. Royal Lee. And so many things would have been lost because he was so... He was so damaged by the, pharma, the pharmaceuticals, the big pharma, everything that's come down on him. Whereas 
Dr. Pottinger and Dr. Um, Price. Dr. Price, yeah, were able to get their message out a little better. But because Dr. Royal Lee was able to actually help people, he was, he was um, hurt by that. Yeah. So I want to continue this, and we hope here at The Forbidden Doctor that we can do that, and with your help. But I'd like to also remind all your family and friends out there to please take our, go to our website, ForbiddenDoctor.com, and take our symptom survey. It's completely free, and you will get a protocol with a lot of these healing products that we've talked about, even other things like diet and different things for free if you go to our website. And you will also get a 30-minute phone consultation with one of our nutritionists. So again, say to friends and family, tell them about this. Go to ForbiddenDoctor.com and take our free symptom survey. And I just want to thank you all for listening to this Forbidden Information and our Forbidden Podcast. And to remind you to join us next time for another in-depth discussion of forbidden knowledge. And we will see you then. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Mary. Okay. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to the Forbidden Doctor Podcast. If you are curious about long-life energy enzymes or ageless thyroid, you can purchase them without a membership from our website at ForbiddenDoctor.com or get our enzyme formula from Amazon.com by searching the full term Long Life Energy Enzymes. Don't forget to take our obligation-free symptom survey to get a free personalized supplement protocol recommended for you by Dr. Jack, Mary, or one of our qualified nutritionists. Take the survey, get a call from our nutritionist to create a protocol and a patient login, then use that login to see your own personal protocol along with any favorites you've saved from our symptom library. Remember, our website and our clinic are here for you always.